From the MGMA in-home studios, welcome to the Insights Podcast. I'm Daniel Williams. But also, I like to take a look at their frequency reports on diagnosis codes so that I can see where those diagnosis codes are hitting and where they might actually be hindering. One client in particular I was working with, based on the volume of unspecified codes they were using, we found where they might have been actually getting paid one level less, and it was costing them over $300,000 a year. That's Rhonda Buckholtz talking about coding best practices. We're going to hear more from Rhonda in just a moment, but first, a word from our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by MGMA Events. The Medical Practice Excellence Financial and Operations Conference 2023 will be held in Orlando, Florida, March 19th through the 21st. During our premier spring event, attendees will gain key insights from both disciplines and learn about topics that shape the future success of medical practice organizations. Go to mgma.com mpe23 to learn more and to register today. The latest value-based care report from Humana outlines many interesting findings and highlights how some physician practices found creative paths to success. Check it out now at humana.com slash VBC. Our guest today is Rhonda Buckholtz, an MGMA independent consultant. Rhonda is here today to talk about her consulting experience, as well as her thoughts on risk adjustment audits and the costly nature of nuances in coding. Well, Rhonda, thanks so much for joining us on the MGMA Consultants Corner podcast. I'm super excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Awesome. So let's just start with a little bit on your background in healthcare. What can you share with our listeners, some highlights of your career? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I've been in healthcare for, I don't know, close to 35 years now. Um, I actually got my start. Uh, as a file clerk. And so I had worked my way around almost every position um, on the business side, Um, got really interested in um, the coding and billing, the revenue cycle piece, and and was served as a practice administrator for quite a while as well. Um, I got involved with the AAPC. And so I actually did a stint there Um, which is the American Academy of Professional Coders. So I actually did a stint there for um, almost 11 years, um, during which was the fun times of ICD-10 implementation. And so I was actually in charge of ICD-10 implementation for the AEPC. So it was a lot of fun, uh, a lot of groundbreaking um, industry work. And and it was a lot, a lot of work. Um, When that was over, I really wanted to get back to Um, working with the practices. Uh, So uh, I actually um, took a step back and I work as a a chief compliance officer. So I do a lot of the mergers and acquisitions um, and the compliance work for that type of of thing, uh, mostly in the ophthalmology world. Um, Although I have some other clients that I do work for as well. Um, And then to kind of 
keep my hand in everything. I do consulting on the side um, through you guys, through MGMA and, and others as well, um, which is, is, I have a passion for the industry. I, I love this. So it, it's always energizing to me. Yeah, I know that. Uh, you and I have worked together on some MGMA programs, the Coding for Non-Coders program and some other outlets as well. And your passion definitely comes through. Wanted to talk to you about that. You have earned your uh, CMPE and you're mm -hmm. also one of the independent consultants at MGMA, as you just mentioned. So talk about that, that decision, first of all, to earn that CMPE. What was the thought process behind that? And then we'll, I'll, I'll follow up and ask you about the consulting as well. Yeah. So the CMPE was actually a bucket list item. It was something that clear back when I was uh, a practice administrator, um, I had wanted to do. And then of course, I see 10 implementation and all of that had taken my focus away for a while. And it was one of those things that was one of the first things that I did when I went back into onto the private practice area of things, even though I wasn't running the practices day to day. Um, a lot of my consulting is around just that and, and from the work that I've done in those days. So I really wanted to um, take the CMPE and, and demonstrate that I had those skills um, uh, to, to be able to help all of my clients. Okay. And then also the uh, independent consultant here at MGMA, how did that come about? Yeah. So um, luckily I got introduced by another consultant. And um, it was wonderful because uh, the entire team is is so great to work for. And, um, you know, it, it's, it's great being able to work with the various clients. So I've kind of picked up a niche for um, some of the ones that come in that um, maybe some of the other consultants uh, aren't necessarily in tune with and that type of thing. So a lot of practice startups uh, and, and help with, with those types of things. Um, a lot of the time studies and uh, uh, revenue cycle uh, analysis and those types of things. Okay. Now, you mentioned something earlier that I should have followed up on. You <laughs> you said developing ICD-10 training was fun, and I'm not sure I heard that in the same sentence before, but uh, usually it's at one of our uh, seminars or webinars with people uh, very frustrated with ICD-10, uh, et cetera. But you're an expert in this field. So how did that develop? How did you really carve out that space? That's how I got to know you with, again, was in some coding programs that we've put on at MGMA. So where did that love for coding uh, come about and, and really uh, as a strong aptitude in that field as well? Yeah, so so I became interested in it early in my career. I, I kind of got thrown into revenue cycle. And, and most people that work in practices know that that's really trial by fire. Uh, that's how most of us get trained. Uh, and so I was actually doing it for a while before I decided that I wanted to be certified. And uh, it, it being certified, just like the CMPE opens up a lot of doors for you. Uh, I have a passion um, not for revenue cycle in particular, because, um, you know, a few years ago I was out and, and I was on a, on the search for a, a, a new uh, career path, a new job. And I, I got lots of opportunities to run RevCycle and I'm really good at RevCycle, but it doesn't bring me joy. 
So uh, I, I don't, you know, I, I was like, mm, no, I, I can help you. I'll revamp it for you. I'll tell you what you need to do. But the day-to-day -day running brings me no joy. Um, and so, but I have a passion for helping providers. Uh, there's so many nuances in ICD-10. And when I was out and training the industry, I, I was trying to really hone in on, here's where those nuances are going to be. Because I did a lot of work with the health plans. I knew what their edits were going to and what was coming down the pike. And now I'm seeing it in action. And I get so frustrated because on the provider side of things, we are being killed by risk adjustment audits. Okay. And we're being killed by um, having to produce those. We get no extra money for the risk adjustment audits. But our payer contracts are actually allowing them to pay us less based off of the results. But they don't give us the results. So we have no idea of how we're doing or not doing. And when I work with the providers... There's so many little nuances that if they would just know these little pieces, um, they would actually be able to get more revenue. Uh, so, for example, I was working with a provider the other day and they're getting paid less by one of their largest payers because um, they're they're failing these these audits. And so they didn't know one simple rule in ICD-10 um, where you assume a cause and effect relationship. So they were seeing a lot of diabetic patients that had cataracts, where there's a rule in ICD-10 that says you assume that diabetes caused the cataract and you use that code. They didn't know it. And being a physician, they don't want to make that assumption, right? They can't prove that it was the diabetes that caused the cataract. So they they don't want to code it that way. And so I explained the rule to them. I showed them and I'm like, that's why you're fa failing these audits. That's why you're getting paid less. Let's fix that and, and we can start generating more revenue. It's those little nuances that can help save a provider's office that I just get really passionate about. Day-to-day um, -day coding would bore me to tears. Um, I'm just not a day-to-day -day structure kind of person. But knowing the nuances enough to be able to influence and help the providers out, that's what motivates me and keeps me going. Mm-hmm. How can you translate that? Because you just said that that's where your passion is. If it were day-to-day -day coding, that'd be a different story. If it were living in a rev cycle situation, that would be a different story. But how do you, when you go to a provider and um, you do help them solve some of these problems or find inefficiencies, um, is that where you're able to kind of take them to um, looking at coding or problem solving in a different way than maybe they're looking at it right now. Talk us through that situation. Yeah. So I actually like to take the RevCycle reports from a different um, perspective. So you look at the standard, what's their aging, right? Who's their top payer mix, those types of things. Um, maybe they're missing modifiers. Like you can take it from that niche. I actually like to also take it from a separate thing when I do a RevCycle review, because I like to look at the actual coding trends but also I like to take a look at their frequency reports on diagnosis codes so that I can see where those diagnosis codes are hitting and where they might actually be hindering them. One client in particular I was working with and based on the volume of unspecified codes they were using, we found where they might have been actually getting paid one level less um, that, and it was costing them over $300,000 a year. Uh, so just a simple change, something simple, easy, breaking the provider of that habit um, can can just generate so much more. And it actually, when you do it right, helps them get that MIPS cost score where it needs to be. 
Um, so it's it's unique, right? When you take when you take all of those other nuances of everything else we're trying to do on whether or not they're just compliant with the code. Um, you know, I want them to be compliant with codes, but I also want to make sure that they're understanding the nuances so they can do it correctly so they get paid more. So I look for those revenue leaks as well. Okay. Okay. Um Next thing I want to talk to you about, you uh, I didn't know you were a social media star. You've got uh, some huge <laughs> followings here on um, LinkedIn. You had, as of this screenshot we grabbed, you had 142 responses and 21 comments. And wow, I mean, you're... <laughs> You're like a, a, you know, one of these TikTok stars or something. But the thing that really stirred a lot of conversation is what you said. You said that health plans are killing provider officers because of their lack of transparency and risk adjustment of yep. HCC audits. You said that provider pay is docked without feedback. Talk more about that. Tell us about that. Yeah, um, it's something I'm extremely passionate about, as you can see from my post. Um, every day, these practices are overwhelmed. I mean, as a matter of fact, I, I know practices that are paying full-time employees that do nothing but copy records for these risk adjustment audits. Provider doesn't get reimbursed from that at all. In the past, we were able to actually charge and all the payer contracts carved that out. Now we're not allowed to charge for those record pools or anything. So now we have the extra burden of a full-time staff um, and, and all the work that goes along with that. Um, and we don't get the results of those. A lot of times um, they're doing it because they're getting audited from the government or they have to get everything in a row so that they can prove that the, the, those are the codes. But what they never do is come back and give us the results from that where we didn't use the right codes or, um, you know, we could have used codes that that instead of like, I'll go back to the cataract ones where we use two or three diagnosis codes where that one would have hit the risk adjustment and that's what they're dinging us for. If, if they're unwilling to work with the providers, then the providers can't improve. And so they don't have someone there teaching them the nuances of ICD-10. A provider does not have the time to sit and read every single guideline in ICD-10. That's unrealistic to even expect it. And so for them to not even come back and offer us solutions or help us to improve or even help us to improve to help the patient population improve, right? It, it's, it's very frustrating um, from the provider standpoint on it. And, and you hear health plans um, you know, complain because the providers aren't documenting as well and help us, educate us, right? We mm -hmm. can't on the provider side, nine times out of 10, we can't even get a provider rep. We can't even get in touch with the, with the insurance plans to ask them the questions or to get it. Um, and we're begging, we're begging for help and and we're being not being heard. Mm. That is not a good scenario. So that's something that's going wrong. Let's talk about something that's going right. You've been in consulting for years. Um, could you talk us through an engagement you've had with a practice that went really well, where you did have a success story? Just walk us through kind of that case study of what they were looking for and then how you were able to identify some of those challenges or problems and then um, provide some solutions as well. Yeah, I will tell you that one of my favorite things to do is to work on practice startup. And so um, when I work with my clients on practice startup, 
it's a great way to make sure that they have the right bones, the right structure to get started from day one. So we're not going back and trying to fix decades of problems or work on those types of things, but it's a way for us to be able to just set up the right structure and help them build as, as they're growing uh, and get everything in place as it goes. What I really like um, and, and, and what I found hugely successful with the practice startups is we focused, we don't only focus on, uh, you know, here's the structure, here's how I'm going to set up your compliance plan, here's how I'm going to, but we also talk and I work with, with the new admins that are coming on and I'm able to coach them and and work have them work with the different personality styles. So we actually do a lot of team building right up at the front where we do like the disc assessments and we talk through everybody's personality styles and their strategies. And so that way they're not, they know the most effective way to work with their teams. Um, and especially even the, the, the doctors, the doctors absolutely love being able to know that information and, and who's on their team. So it's a great way right from them to start, from them to be able to build their team and to start looking for it. And then they know how to do the next new hire and, and who they need to complement the team. Um, in, in addition to just having all the, here are the regulations and what we need to set up, right? It's here's how you really succeed. You build the culture. And so um, I get really excited when I get to work with those startups and we build such a great culture right off the beginning. Okay, perfect. Now, you and I were talking offline. We were whining about how cold we are. You're in Pennsylvania. I'm in Colorado. And I don't I didn't get what the temperature is. We were hitting something like negative 14 earlier. What what's it been like there in Pennsylvania? Um then I sh then I should stop complaining because it's actually 34 here. What? Um, oh my yeah. gosh. I felt so bad for you until now. But no, but no. you know, it can be 34 and then with the wind it can be pretty miserable. So uh we were just both talking about how we we're having long bleak winters. Um but yeah. We we have a, a silver lining. We will be meeting with you in Orlando <laughs> in March. I'm counting down the days. <laughs> I am too. I'm going to get one of those calendars and just start marking it down. But you will be speaking at our financial and operations conference. That conference is, again, it's going to be held in Orlando March 19th through the 21st. For everyone listening, I will put out a link uh, to that so you can attend as well and get out of that cold weather. <laughs> Um, you're going to be talking about optimizing revenue cycle with Lean Six Sigma. Just give us the elevator pitch, maybe some other nuggets that people can expect to learn from that talk. Yeah, I'm really excited about doing this one. I'm doing it with Adrienne Lloyd, who I just adore. Um, and she is just a wealth of information on um, using Lean Six Sigma principles in your practice and the different tools that are available to monitor. And then I pitch in from the revenue cycle side of what things you actually should be looking at. Um, because I've seen some really pretty reports in RevCycle that give me no valuable information whatsoever. And so we talk about drilling down to the right reports and how you can actually use them to then drive your revenue and make improvements. Um, so it's it's a great one um, that, that we really enjoy doing together. Oh, that's awesome. Adrian is a friend of the show. So that is going to be a great one. I look forward to meeting you in person in uh, Orlando. So Rhonda Buckholtz, uh, MGMA consultant, lover of ICD-10 training. Um, <laughs> thank you for stepping into the consultant's corner today. Thanks so much for having me. 
Well, that's going to do it for this episode of MGMA's Consultants Corner. Thanks to our guest, Rhonda Buckholtz, an MGMA independent consultant and expert on risk adjustment audits. This episode is brought to you by MGMA Events. The Medical Practice Excellence Financial and Operations Conference 2023 will be held March 19th through the 21st in Orlando, Florida. Go to mgma.com slash mpe23 to learn more and to register today. The latest value-based care report from Humana outlines many interesting findings and highlights how some physician practices found creative paths to success. Check it out now at humana.com slash VBC. If you like the work we're doing, please consider becoming an MGMA member. Learn more at mgma.com slash membership.